This podcast is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, award-winning wealth managers who go above and beyond to support and guide you. Visit candowealth.com to start building your wealth with confidence. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots, the Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Katie Balls and I'm joined by James Forsyth and Isabel Hardman. And we've had an announcement today on trains. Isabel, this relates to the government's levelling up agenda and really we're seeing quite a lot of disappointment. Can you talk us through what's been announced? Yeah, so this is the integrated rail plan, which involves a number, as you say, of, of disappointments, such as uh, no eastern leg of HS2 and no northern powerhouse rail, which is a sort of new trans-Pennine route. There are, if you talk to Conservative MPs in the north, a lot of them are very disappointed with this. They feel that they were over-promised by Boris Johnson. They do understand the, the public spending picture which is that some of these promises were turned out to be uh, too expensive to deliver which I think is a recurring thing with Boris Johnson but they also do say well there are some good things about this integrated rail plan some journey times are going to be cut by you know around 15 minutes or or something like that there are going to be some upgrades as well but it's I wouldn't say it's even a mixed picture it is is generally quite a disappointing picture even for those who are willing to give Boris Johnson the benefit of the doubt and I think it shows uh, a number of things. One is obviously that, that Boris Johnson is not in a good place with his party and it's not just over second jobs, it's over a number of things. But also that the time of uh, turning the taps on with public spending is over and uh, Rishi Sunak is is prevailing more than uh, perhaps Boris Johnson would have imagined uh, when he made these initial promises. James, is this about the narrative Oh, as Isabel said, it's just very hard to dress up in terms of how this has been scaled down. So I think there's an interesting question here, which is that we had the Northern Papers earlier in the week all saying, you know, we've been that train spotting front page, emphasising they've been let down. Today you've got City AM, a a London free sheet, saying, well, London transport is going to be in terrible trouble if we're not giving more money. You're going back to the neglect of the 70s and 80s. All of which would make you think that the government is in, in, enacting kind of sweeping cuts to the transport budget. It's actually spending £90 billion. And the government has got itself into a terrible tangle because, as Isabel said, it has overpromised. Now, I think there is, a, there is a practical question here, which is in terms of levelling up, boosting productivity, which is more important, boosting transport within regions or boosting the linkages across the country. Now, I personally think it is boosting transport within regions. I I think half of the most deprived towns in Britain are within city regions. And one of the reasons they're so deprived is how long it takes to travel around these city regions, which can leave these places cut off. I think spending money on fixing that is actually better than on point-to-point city centre-to-city centre high-speed links. But the problem that the government, the whole the government has dug itself into is that Boris Johnson talked about high-speed between the cities of the north as kind of proof of levelling up, a proof of his commitment to this. So the fact that obviously they've gone back on it is going to cause problems. And I think you saw that at, at PMQs when Jake Berry, who was one of Boris Johnson's great cheerleaders, was one of his ministers, but left post-election reshuffle, basically said, were voters in the north right to trust you, Prime Minister? implication that they weren't on this stuff and and so I think you see this problem here and the, the government has managed to get into a situation where it's spending 90 million pounds plus and getting awful headlines everywhere. 
Isabel, you mentioned general anxiety or disappointment with the current leadership from Tory MPs. What is currently the most damaging thing here? Obviously, Tory sleaze in a way has galvanised or become the point where there are more doubts. But in a way, do you think something like uh, being accused of failing to deliver on the levelling up agenda is going to have um, a bigger implication at the ballot box of the next election? Yeah, possibly more long term. I think at, at the moment, uh, the Tory angst is uh, definitely, you know, it covers a, a wide range of, of issues, but it is definitely at its worst over second jobs and sleaze and the way the Prime Minister has handled all of that. And that's why, uh, as you wrote on Coffee House, Katie, uh, the 1922 Committee of Conservative Backbenchers last night, Boris Johnson basically held his hands up and, you know, said, Mayor Culper, uh, on a clear day, I, I drove the car into uh, a ditch and I will get the car out of the ditch, as I think um, what you reported him as saying. And so he's obviously very aware of that. But there has been a an interesting shift in government language over the past few months on levelling up anyway. So I thought it was really striking at Conservative Party conference that Michael Gove, when he was uh, talking about levelling up, it was as much about sort of ties between communities and things that were, uh, well, perhaps a, a little uh, less easy to define and also uh, much easier to uh, suggest had already been a success than uh, building extremely difficult and costly infrastructure projects, which infrastructure has always been the main thing that's been associated with levelling up. So I think there has been uh, a sort of shift in government thinking, whether that's out of necessity or whether Michael Gove as a new levelling up secretary uh, wants to do that anyway. But for Boris Johnson, it, I think it's the repeated over-promising and under-delivering that is wearing down his backbenchers as well. Uh, not just on infrastructure, but also on the NHS and, and lots of other issues where they are aware that their constituents are getting quite cross. And James, Boris Johnson had a rather bruising day on Wednesday. Prime Minister's questions, the liaison committee, the 1922 committee. What is the current perception amongst MPs of how he is doing? So I think Boris Johnson had, as you say, a, a bad day yesterday. He had a ill-tempered PMQs where he got into a spat with the speaker um as you've pointed out katie one of the telling things was that the tory benches weren't full and that's you know that that, that might sound to, to a very trivial thing but one of the advantages that the governing party has at pmqs is simply that it has more mps in the chamber and therefore <coughs> sorry <coughs> sorry I've, I've swallowed our rather lovely caramel digestive down the wrong way uh, and so rather than a, an advantage on the volume front he then went to the liaison committee now Boris Johnson never enjoys these uh, appearances because they are lots of very detailed questions from people and answering detailed questions you know if, if politics is a decathlon that kind of scrutiny is not Boris Johnson's top event and then he went to the 1922 committee where you had grumpy Tory MPs I think he was trying to kind of turn it into a bit of a rally, a list of achievements and the like. It, 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 they, Tory MPs weren't in that kind of mood. And then he had a phone call with Tory MPs about Northern Rail, which I don't think was the... A, 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 you know, given the reaction to the news that we've seen today after the phone call, I think we can draw some conclusions on how that all went. And so I think all of this is problematic. And I think, as Isabel says, and, and, and as you've written, actually, the two dangers are... For him is one a pattern of 
promising everything and not delivering everything. Hugh Merriman, the chair of the Transport Select Committee, said if you promise perpetual daylight, you leave it to other people to explain why the moonlight has to come in at some point. I mean, that is, that is a mood of quite a few people. And then there's this other point, which is people previously had thought, well, Boris Johnson must know what, and his team must know what they're doing. You know, they won an 80-seat majority. I think the handling of the Owen Paston affair has, has badly dented that sense. And so people are more inclined to, to second-guess what number 10's up to. I think the, the other thing that doesn't help, and this might sound silly, but he's got a bad cold at the moment. And if you're trying to assert yourself in a noisy common chamber or, or inject energy into a meeting of a 1922 committee, that doesn't help. And that led to this spat between Nadine Doris and Laura Koonsberg. Laura Koonsberg had tweeted about a Tory MP having texted her saying that, you know, Boris Johnson looked weak and it sounded like his authority was going. Nadine Doris, who is the culture secretary, then kind of then kind of tweets back saying, Laura, I very much like and respect you, but we both know that text is ridiculous. Although no one is ridiculous as the person, obviously totally desperate for your attention, who sent it. And I think that, again, I think has caused a bit of concern on Tory MPs because it's like, is it really sensible for a cabinet minister to be replying to the political coach to the BBC on, on Twitter in that way? And particularly when that cabinet secretary is the culture secretary, and responsible for the BBC. So someone close to Boris Johnson said to me last night, you know, we just need to get to Christmas. And, you know, there is some truth to that, but the worry for them is that it is only November the 18th. And so that, that you know, the kind of politics is Christmas break is at least a month away. And also it's interesting just in the sense that I'm sure we've all spoken to MPs who are at that meeting. The general view is it was terrible. <laughs> I, I think the, the most striking thing someone said to me is it wasn't as bad as that text message made it sound. But the most telling thing was but there weren't that many people there. And I, I was struck standing outside it by the fact there were quite a few ministers there. And when ministers are there, it generally suggests that there has been an attempt to get the numbers up, get people in, get everything going. And, and they hadn't drawn a full house. So after after the PMQ thing that you point out, you know, the, the, the empty bench, this following from that. And then I thought the other thing that was that was telling was someone said, you know, someone said point out, you know, was he was kind of running through a list of the government's greatest hits, trying to create this kind of rally, peppy atmosphere. And they didn't want to hear it last night. You know, the, 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 someone said to me afterwards, you know, just didn't read the mood on that right. And I think that is the worry for him. He is he is so committed to kind of optimism, positivity, it's all going to be great, but it's quite hard. He needs some energy to come back to him. And at the moment, that is not from his party because his party are like, you you really did drive us into a ditch here uh, and it really was a clear road and you just didn't go like that, you know. Mm. Yeah, I was talking to one Conservative MP who said that uh, as he was listing these achievements, he was largely heard in silence because the MPs were sort of thinking, well, and and also some of these achievements aren't what they're cracked up to be anyway. This is the the problem. I mean, one of the examples is this forty new hospitals, which is I think uh, HSJ today reported that it's been put on the the government infrastructure commission's red list because uh, of the problems with it, and the hospitals aren't being built yet. And the other thing is they're not actually hospitals. So uh, and Tory MPs know that no matter how many times they might say it in the chamber, and there may not be any staff to put in them. Yeah. Thank you, Isabel. Thank you, James. And thank you for listening. And while we have you here, as well as hearing our analysis, you can read it in the Evening Blend, sent every day, early evening, and penned by Isabel Hardman. To sign up for that, just go to www.spectator.co.uk forward slash blend. <laughs> <laughs>